Here we go. You're listening to Open Mic Friday, Law and Gospel on this May the 15th in the year of our Lord, 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and because we're still not in the studio uh, due to the virus, we are at home, and I'm responding not to phone calls, but to emails. If you want to send me an email that I can respond to on Open Mic Friday, send it to Law and Gospel at Law and Gospel 101.com. That's Law and Gospel at Law and Gospel 101.com. So let's go with the first question that we want to deal with that I received this past week. If one was baptized years ago in the worldwide church of God when they were considered a cult and would like to join the Missouri Synod, is it necessary to be re-baptized? Now, that's a really good question because a number of times someone will join the Missouri Synod congregation who was baptized, and we don't necessitate another baptism. For example, there was a controversy some years ago when I believe it was President Johnson's daughter moved from Roman Catholicism to another Christian religion. It might have been Episcopalian, and they forced her to be rebaptized. We are against that because a Roman Catholic baptism is both valid and effective. There's no necessary reason to have such a person be baptized again. But in this question, how about the worldwide church of God, particularly as they were considered a cult which means they are not believing the word of God, but rather the word of their leaders. And here's the answer to that. On the basis of the scripture, that the baptism of non-Trinitarian or anti-Trinitarian congregations is not a valid baptism. Even if they use a Trinitarian formula in their right, like they'll say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the fact that they deny the Trinity means that their baptism is invalid. God's word is not being added to the water, but rather a man-devised caricature of the words of Christ are used. And since such is the case with the former worldwide church of God, it would be necessary for one to be rebaptized. In fact, uh, we baptized people who had grown up in a Christian church that believed in the Trinity, but they did not have any evidence that they had been baptized when they were a child. There's no baptismal certificate, etc. 
in those cases, we did rebaptize them. But it was with the understanding that the first baptism, if it had taken place, would be okay. And it wasn't really necessary to be rebaptized if they had originally been baptized. But in order for assurance of salvation that they were baptized at one time, we may rebaptize such people. But at my church, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, when individuals came through adult instruction and decided to become Lutheran, whether they had been Episcopalian or Roman Catholic or maybe another Lutheran church, we would not necessitate their rebaptism if they had been baptized, which gets us into the question that when you're talking about baptism, there is a distinction between baptism being valid and baptism being effective. What's the distinction? Baptism is valid when it is done according to Christ's command. It is not valid if it is not done according to Christ's command. Uh, for example, where I met my wife, Louise, it was at a Lutheran hospital in Fort Wayne. I was an orderly. She was a nurse. And at night, as an orderly, I didn't really have that much to do. I enjoyed the night shift from 11 till 7 in the morning and maybe help some patients with bedpans, this sort of thing. I was an orderly. I wasn't a physician. So my tasks were pretty light. And I had the opportunity to go to the cafeteria, which was open all night long, and take a walk through the hospital. I can't tell you how many times I passed the nativity ward where you had babies who had recently been born. And I thought to myself, well, nobody's in the room. You know, they did not have guards or nurses like they have today in front of nativity wards. Why don't I just go in with a little water and baptize all the babies? And when I did further study on that, I found out that that would be an invalid baptism. It has to be done according to Christ's command, where, for example, the parents give their permission for the child to be baptized. And if that is not occurring, then we have a situation where the baptism is invalid. I'll give you another example of an invalid baptism. A bunch of children are at church, and they see a baptism. Well, that afternoon, they're in the park in the sandbox, and one of their friends doesn't go to church, and he's never been baptized. So one of the other little boys says, well, look, we'll baptize you. Oh, really? How are you going to do that? Well, here's a cup of water, and as we pour it over you, we'll say, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
You see, they're even using the words of institution. But of course, the parents don't know about it. It's not done within the church. And in participation of the baptism, there is no promise that the child will be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's an invalid baptism. We know that even more when we take a look at another sacrament, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. I remember many years ago, I knew of a non-Lutheran congregation. It was at a college. And when they had the Lord's Supper, their reading of the Bible was that it was just a fellowship meal where people came together and greeted one another and joined together in a common fellowship of friendship. So they didn't believe it was a sacrament delivering the body and blood of Jesus Christ in with and under the bread and the wine. So this one church, when they had this fellowship meal, they used hot dog buns and Coca-Cola. Now, we know that Jesus originally used bread from the Passover, which meant that it was special bread, and the wine was not special wine, but it was about six parts of water to bread. And the bread had not been allowed to arise uh, because of the ingredients put into it. So we would not consider that that so-called Lord's Supper of hot dogs and Coca-Cola was a valid supper because it was not done according to Christ's command. And the people who did it, that congregation, did not believe in the true body and blood of Jesus Christ in with and under the bread and the wine. Now, we don't explain like the Roman Catholics do with their philosophical theory of transubstantiation how God does that. We simply say that the bread in and of itself does not change to body, nor the wine change to blood, but somehow in, with, and under the body, uh, the bread and the wine is coming the body and blood of Christ. Much like when, and I've said this many times, when Moses was on Mount Sinai and there was a burning bush, God was in, with, and under the burning bush, but God was not a burning bush. He chose to be sacramentally in a holy way present in, with, and under that bush. And that's what he does with the Lord's Supper. It's in, with, and under the bread and the wine. Somehow, it is the vehicle by which God gives us the Lord's Supper. All right. Uh, another email that I received this week, this was a somewhat of a criticism of a well-known Lutheran theologian uh, by the name of Paul Kretzmann. 
and the writer of the email said he had been reading Paul Kretzmann's commentary on 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. So I want to read that. I'm going to start, though, with verse 10. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So the email writer says this, I am troubled by Kretzmann's statement when he says, the believers that are in every way conducting themselves as true children of God have the comforting assurance for thus shall be richly furnished to you the endurance to the entire kingdom of God. I'm sorry, the entire kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If Christians thus follow the will of their heavenly Father in making their calling and election sure, then God will mercifully reward them their faithfulness. Now, he makes a very important point. He says, Kretschmann talks about conducting themselves as true children of God in every way have comforting assurance. Now, the way this email writer interprets what Kretschmann is saying is the following. My comforting assurance is not found in my conduct, which is imperfect, needing daily repentance, but in the assurance of the forgiveness of my sins by what Christ has done for me. This passage by Kretzmann talks about a personal conduct that is impossible to keep it also gives the impression of works righteousness. Please give me your impressions of Kretzmann and what he is saying here. I am confused. So that's what the email writer writes. Now, Paul Kretzmann is a commentary that we use to help explain the various parts of scripture. There's a couple of ways that I would regard this. I want to repeat what Kressman actually says, because the email writer says he gives the impression of works righteousness. Now, I did not see that in what Kressman is saying except for this part that says we are to conduct ourselves as true children of God in every way, and then we will have comforting assurance. Now, what is 
to conduct oneself as a true children of God, to have the comforting assurance in every way. Jesus' ministry in Mark began in chapter 1 very clearly. He did not begin by telling people that they needed to be righteous in their works in order to get to heaven. He did not begin even with miracles. He did no miracles at that time, at the beginning of his ministry. The Bible is very clear what Jesus did. It says that after John the baptizer had been taken into custody, that's really important because Mark does not explain that John the baptizer was arrested by Herod Antipas because John the baptizer was complaining about his immoral marriage. So a lot of scholars believe that Mark was probably written after Matthew and Luke that explained the reason why John the baptizer was imprisoned by Herod. So I would kind of uh, agree with that, that rather than the order being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it probably was Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John. And there's a lot we could discuss about the time that this occurred. So what did Jesus do? If he didn't talk about the necessity to obey the law, as he does in the Sermon on the Mount, but instead does not do miracles, what does he do? Now, let me read verse 14. This is Mark chapter 1. Now, after Jesus was arrested, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. That, that's amazing. Because who's in charge of Galilee? Who's the ruler? It's Herod, the one who just arrested John the baptizer for telling him he needed to repent of his sins. Not only is Jesus saying that, listen to his message in verse 15, saying, the time is fulfilled. In other words, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is what I believe Kretzmann is referring to when he talks about that the children of God conduct themselves in every way that Jesus commands. Now, what is such conduct? The first thing is our repentance. Because apart from repentance, then it appears we're not really aware that Jesus needs to be our Savior. So to conduct yourselves with comforting assurance, believe it or not, begins with repentance. 
John the baptizer taught that. Repent, for this is the way to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. But Jesus doesn't end with the work of John the baptizer in speaking of repentance. What does he also say? Repent and believe in the gospel. Now that word believe is the word in the Greek used in the Reformation, which really means to trust. That's why we baptize infants, because baby infants trust their mother. Doesn't take too long at all before they have great trust in their mother. They may not be able to vocalize it, but they certainly have that trust. And in baptism, God provides them with that trust in God, particularly in Jesus Christ. They may not be able to put in vocables, I believe in Jesus Christ, but they are taken from the realm of Satan and put in the kingdom of God. And the word kingdom that Jesus is preaching about is not some kind of locality like Queen Elizabeth is ruler over the kingdom of Britain. No, the word kingdom in this sense means an activity on the part of God in taking care of his people. So if you as a Christian are in the kingdom of God, guess what? God is taking care of you. When you repent of your sins, God forgives them. When you call upon him in the day of trouble, God answers immediately. And when you trust in what Christ has done, guess what? That's what God is talking about. In fact, in the very part quoted by Kretzmann, it says, conducting themselves as true children of God in every way, having comforting assurance. He doesn't talk about that that comforting assurance is in your conduct. No, because we all fall short of the glory of God. But it is clear from many other passages in Kretzmann that our assurance comes about because we know that God will mercifully reward our faithfulness. What does that mean? Our faithfulness in confessing our sin and our faithfulness in believing that God does forget our sin. I've often been asked, if you die today, how do you know you will go to heaven? And my answer never is, oh, because I have faith. No, that would give me merit. Or because I do so many good works, or because I'm a pastor, or I worship a lot. No, 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 none of that counts for heaven. The reason is because Jesus died on the cross for me. And therefore, I always look to my baptism as a sure assurance that God made a promise when he baptized me 
into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that I would have God as my Father, Jesus as my brother, and the Holy Spirit as my comforter. So to conduct yourself in every way to have assurance does mean repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Now, do good works come in and any of that? Yes, they do. All you need to do is look at Matthew 25. And how does God complement the sheep? He complements them because of their many good works, visiting people in prison, helping out the needy, etc. Now, it's not that the goats did not do those good works, but they did not do them out of faith in Jesus Christ because they had no such faith. So it's not that our works don't count before God, but they become the evidence where we do do them by the power of the Holy Spirit that we have true faith. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to do what Christman says, to conduct ourselves as children of God primarily by repentance and believing in the forgiveness of sins, the robe of righteousness, and all the other benefits. Now, we're going to continue that kind of a discussion on Monday as we took a look at a reading for the following Sunday. I'm Tom Baker. You've been listening to Law & Gospel. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.